Bibles this morning. Thank you for that wonderful song. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 this morning. And if you're able to this morning, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 21. You'll find the uh, outline to the message this morning in your bulletin. And uh, our theme for the year has been this matter of choose. God put on my heart before the trip this matter of uh, today, according to the scriptures, is known as Palm Sunday, and it's a wonderful time to think about how Jesus uh, came into the city of Jerusalem, and of course, uh, the way that he was received or not received, and so I want you to read a few verses with me today, and of course, we're going to stay right with the Word of God, but in Matthew 21, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. Straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king, thy king, cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes. And they set him thereon, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus, when he was on this earth, said to his disciples one day, Whom do men say that I am? Their response was, well, you're, they, they say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to his followers, his disciples, but whom do you say that I am? You see, it really matters what you and I think about Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? And this morning, with God's help from the Bible, I'm going to challenge you, if you have not done this, to choose to receive Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this morning, for the Word of God. Open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might receive Your Word. The truth we need to know, and it is the truth that will set us free. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. You think about this passage and how Matthew is writing here, and it's interesting as you study what we call the gospel records. In our Bible, when you come to what we call the portion called the New Testament, you find that our New Testament of our Bible begins, listen now, with the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and the gospel according to John. Four accounts that if you take those four gospel records and you put them together, you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a nutshell, what is the gospel? It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you think about it in the Word of God, and if you've ever done this, in most Bibles, if you have some type of a study Bible, a note Bible, in the back of it, many times they give you a layout of things that you will find, some things that you can compare when you're reading the Bible, and you find that what you what you see in most Bibles, study Bibles a lot of times, is things that you might find, events, parables, and so on, that are found in maybe Matthew's gospel record, and then maybe the next column would be what's found in Mark's, and then the next column, Luke's, and the next one, John's. Some things you'll find are found only one in one of those four gospel records. Some you might find it in two of those gospel records. Some you might find three, but very few things do you find in all four of the gospel records. The, the entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, the portion we just read out of Matthew's gospel, you can find it in all four gospel records. It's interesting that God wanted us to understand Jesus coming in because by the time you get to what we call the New Testament of our Bible, the truth is in history, Bible history and history alone, for thousands of years, Jewish people had been looking for the Messiah. They've been looking for a Messiah. They were expecting, as maybe he would eventually come, that he would be some great military leader. They were expecting that he would be one that would overthrow the, the enemies of Rome and that he would restore Israel back to the greatness and glory that it once had. You think about what they were expecting. But what they had not expected what there, was that their king would be a carpenter that he would come the way that he did. They never expected that, that he would come as a king but have no weapons, that he would have no army, that he would have no political power backing him. They certainly never knew that he would be crucified among the most cruelest ways ever known to man. They never expected any of that. Throughout the early life of Jesus, as you study the Word of God, and again, God gives us as much as He wanted us to have, and you hold that in your hands today, and we are privileged to have the Word of God, we find that these people, God's people, the nation of Israel, that they had been given evidence on top of evidence that Jesus was who He said that He was. 
he proved many times and the life that God gave him that he performed miracles. He proved by the place of his birth. He proved by many signs and wonders, honestly too numerous to mention. He proved so many different ways that he was the Son of God. Yet we find that they still refused to believe that he was the Messiah. They just couldn't believe it. They chose not to believe it. Time and time again, he revealed himself unto him. And what did he do? As, as he did that, they rejected God's sent one. Look at the Bible says in John 1.11, he came unto, what's those next two words? He came unto his own. Listen now. He came unto his own and his own received him not. If there was anyone that should have welcomed him, that should have received him, it should have been God's people. But the Bible says they received him not. He, the word here talks about Jesus coming to his own intimates, his own family and friends. I've tried to talk to some folks Today And you know the gospel's for everyone. And if you're here today and you are of the descent as a Jew, understand, and many times when I begin to talk to people who might be of Jewish descent, even in this day we live in, they, they, they have a different idea about who Jesus is. According to the scriptures, Jesus was a Jew. They identified him as the king of the Jews. And Jesus came... For his people, he came for everyone. God so loved the world. And in today's text, what we find in Matthew 21, and if you were to go to Mark's gospel record in Luke's and John's today, and we don't have time to do that, here's what you would find is, is that God was giving them one more opportunity to receive their king. As you look at the passage today, I want to challenge you to look in your own heart. And search your heart this morning and ask yourself this, have I received, have I received the Lord Jesus? Have I led him into my heart and into my life? Because folks, look, to not have received him is to reject him. There is no middle ground. You either accept God's gift of his son or by not accepting that gift, you are really rejecting that gift. And folks, I'm going to tell you the greatest gift that's ever been given is the gift of God's own dear son. That unspeakable gift that the word of God talks about. You see, have you received him this morning? It's an amazing thing this morning. And I want you to look, if you have your Bibles open, because we read in chapter 21... But I want you to see, as we look at a little bit of background this morning, the people that we see in this passage, and we have to back up a little bit in chapter 20, and beginning in verse number 29, the Bible says, and as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Now, if you study some of the other gospel records, 
Listen, I'm going to tell you, there are no contradictions in the Word of God. There's a lot of people act like that the Bible has errors in it. God's Word is without error, all right? You know why? Because it's not a book of man, it's God's Word. But one of the gospel records actually identifies just one individual, and maybe it was because it was the one that God allowed the writer of that gospel to focus a little bit more on, and that man's name was a man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. But here in Matthew's gospel, he identifies two blind men. As they're leaving Jericho, the Bible says they depart there. There's this great multitude that followed Jesus. And the Bible says they encounter, come across two blind men sitting by the wayside. And it says these blind men, they, they heard. They don't look, folks. They don't have their eyesight but they're hearing all this talk about this one named Jesus, about what this man named Jesus has done. And with their ears, they're hearing this, and the Bible says they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Notice it doesn't say in the next verse, the disciples rebuked them. Notice it says, the multitude, the people that were, were traveling with Jesus. It's almost as if they're saying, look, he's too busy for you blind people. Jesus has got something to do, and you are not a part of it. But you know that's one thing I love about Jesus is he came for anyone and everyone. The Bible says here, the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace, but I love these two blind men. They cried out the more. Hey, listen, you're not going to keep me from getting to Jesus. I'm going to make sure that he hears my voice. The Bible says they cried out the more. Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And look at these words. Look at it. I want you to see it. Verse 32. And Jesus, what did he do? Their cry stopped the Son of God. He stopped in his tracks. He heard someone crying out for mercy. And the Bible says he called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they say unto him, Lord that our eyes may be opened. And the Bible says, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately, immediately, their eyes received sight and they went back to their jobs and forgot all about Jesus. Is that what the Bible says? No, their lives were changed. If you have met the Lord, if you have received the Lord Jesus into your life, when God saved you, the thing you ought to do with your life is the very same thing these two blind men did. They followed him. They thought, boy, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I wonder what else he can do. I wonder what else the Lord is going to do today, tomorrow, 
You'll never experience that unless you follow him. And the Bible talks about these people, the multitude, the disciples of the Lord that were there that day. And the, the Bible tells us it's clear. You can study out in the Old Testament and the New Testament that the reason that there were so many people in Jerusalem was because of the feast, the feast days that were coming, the feast of the Passover. Everybody would come from all around. They would be there for the feast, the high days, the holy days. And there were many in Jerusalem, but the Bible identifies here, these are people that were traveling with Jesus from Jericho as he made his way towards Jerusalem. Notice not only the people, but the person. Listen, this passage is not about the blind men. This passage isn't about the disciples. It's all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's what the Bible's about. The Bible's about the Lord Jesus Christ, and Isaiah wrote many years before this day, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. You know what Isaiah wrote as God allowed him to write? That there was going to be a day that Jesus, the Son of God, would leave the splendors of heaven and come to a sin-cursed world, a world of iniquity. And there was going to be a day right before the Passover that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was going to come into the city of Jerusalem. And eventually he would come there in just a few days that he would be treated the way he was treated because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I think about how the Bible tells us in John's gospel, the word Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us. Aren't you glad that God sent his very best for you and for me? You see, I see the people. But folks, listen, it's not about the people, it's about the person. And as the person of Jesus came, notice the place. I had, like Brother Kenny and Brother Chris and so many others, we had an unbelievable privilege to stand many times on what is known as the Mountain of Olives. The Mount of Olives. We stood there as we were told how Jesus, in this particular passage, as Jesus came that day from Jericho and he stood there on the Mount of Olives and he looked across and he could see the city of Jerusalem. I can still see it in my mind's eye. Jesus made that descent probably about 200 feet down to the Kedron Valley. Many believe that there was probably water flowing through the valley at that time. When we were there, it was completely dry. That was the place many times that Jesus would walk. And by the way, that was the very valley that Jesus would later walk through as he was being taken for the trials that he went through, which would be this very week. But Jesus went down to the Kedron Valley and he went across probably a bridge, no doubt, as he made his way up to, uh, as he passed down through the 
Mount of Olives, before he reached the, the, the Kedron Valley, he passed a place that we call Gethsemane. We spent some time in that garden. Our group, we had a small service there, and as we finished the service, we, we all found a place. We got alone with the Lord. You remember the scriptures talk about how Jesus took his disciples there and he asked them to pray. And you remember he went a little further by himself and he prayed and said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus passed that very garden. He made his way down to the Kidron Valley. He crossed that valley and he made his way up the ascent into the eastern slope of the city of Jerusalem on what is known as Mount Moriah. Folks, if you understand the significance of the Word of God, there's a place there today called the Dome of the Rock. The very place that the Bible describes in Genesis 22 in your notes that the Bible says that God said unto Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, isn't it interesting that in 2 Chronicles 3.1, you remember Solomon built his temple for the Lord, but the, look what the Bible says, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. In Mount what? Moriah. Where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And it's interesting that as Jesus made his way up that slope towards what they call the Eastern Gate. That gate today has been sealed. We had the privilege one day, I was standing there and some of the people in our group was with us and I had walked through this little area. We were standing right by the Lion's Gate, the city of Jerusalem. And I said to a couple of the guys, I said, do you realize what is just a couple hundred feet down from us here on our left? And they kind of looked at me and I said, that is the Eastern Gate. We are standing within a couple hundred feet of the very gate that Jesus on Palm Sunday went through that gate and into the temple. And that is the very same gate that they can seal it all they want that one day Jesus is going to come and walk through that gate once more. Amen. I'm going to tell you folks, I just many times on that trip I just wanted to grab my Bible and preach. Because we were on the outside of that gate, and we found ourselves a couple days later standing on the inside of the temple area on the backside of that eastern gate. What an amazing thought, folks, that the Lord is going to come back. But we see here the very place that Jesus makes his way up from that Kedron Valley through that eastern gate into that temple area, and we find that, notice why did all of this happen? Well, notice, fourthly, the prophecy 
The Bible has given us clearly that Jesus had proved through his identity that what was he doing that day when he rode upon those, that donkey in the foal of an ass and he came into the city the way that he did. Why would he do it in that way? Listen, it wasn't because of what they thought he should do. He was doing it to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus was fulfilling scripture that day. As a matter of fact, Zechariah's scripture because the prophecy had been given some four to five hundred years before Jesus had made his triumphal entrance into the city of Jerusalem. In Zechariah 9, 9, look at the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. See, a lot of times people think, boy, why didn't he come on a chariot? Why didn't he come riding some big white stallion? You know why? Because the Bible had already said how he was going to come. You see, the, the Romans, when they saw Jesus and many others, they saw Jesus riding on a donkey. They, they probably thought to themselves, what a joke. This can't be some great king. This can't be some ruler. I mean, after all, what king rides on a donkey? And you know, it's interesting because as I was spending time there and back here and on our trip, I found that not only did the Romans not understand it, but even his disciples didn't really understand all that was happening. They didn't really get why Jesus came the way that he did. They didn't understand the significance, but does not the Bible say that his ways are not our ways? They're higher than our ways. One of the saddest things that I saw when I was there these past 12 days was one day our guide said, listen, I want you to meet me. He says, we're going to go through the western wall. It's called the Wailing Wall. And we had the opportunity to go there. People go there and they, they write prayers on a little piece of paper and they, they stuff them in the cracks of the stones of the western wall because they believe that's as close as they can get to the very place, the holiest of places. And it's really sad because the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we can come boldly before the throne of God. I don't have to stand at some wall and stuff pieces of paper in a wall. I can go to God myself. And I can take my petition straight to, to Jesus. We were making our way and there was this thing that was made out of wood and we, we walked through security and we made our way across there and we heard this noise and we stopped and we looked out over and you have to see the picture that we're looking out over what is that section of the wailing wall that's been partitioned off that only men on this side and only women on this side. They're standing there and they're praying. They're chanting. They're, all kinds of things are going on. And just up from where that wall is, right there in that same area, was a group of maybe, maybe 30, 30 or so young teenage girls kind of in a semicircle. They're holding hands and they're very joyous and they're singing and seemed to be very exciting whatever they were doing that day. And our guide, who knows Hebrew, 
began to translate for us that what they were singing is, Lord, with all our hearts, we await your coming. We look forward to the day you will come. And I thought to myself, they've missed the record. He has come, folks. Jesus was here. And yet here they are saying, we're waiting on the Messiah. Hey, listen, he's going to come back, but the next time he comes back, he's going to come back to rule and reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's see, I find here that there was, it was amazing, the, the prophecy and how that we need to understand what Jesus was doing that day, that as he came, it was not at all what they thought. But notice, number five this morning, that what did he come to do? He came to bring peace. Now again, going back to how he came, remember he rode in on a donkey, the foal of an ass. Jesus makes his way into the city, and why would he do that? And I, I, I began to look, and they claim that in ancient times, and you can study out in the Old Testament, there are others in the Old Testament, that they actually would come into the city, kings and rulers, riding upon donkeys. It was an acceptable animal for royalty. They would bear royalty. And what it, what it typified, what it showed, was it actually showed peaceful intentions when they would come into a city that way. And it reminds me of what Isaiah said. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of what? Prince of Peace. Jesus, when he was on this earth, listen, folks, listen to what he said. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. He came to bring peace. If you know Christ as your Savior today, I guarantee you, you understand when I say that God gives us the peace that passes all understanding. I hope you know the peace of God today. You see, I see the peace. And as Jesus came, I see the next thing in the passage this morning. I see the palms. And we call it Palm Sunday. And the Bible says here that as Jesus came that as he was coming, the Bible says that some of them, they, they took off their garments and they, they put them on the animals. And then they said then some of them, others took palm branches, branches of palms, and, and they, they began to wave them and straw them in the way. That's kind of hard sometimes when you're in the Midwest to talk about palm branches because they don't really know what a palm tree is. But we're in South Florida. Everywhere you look, there are palm trees and palm branches. And you see these branches, a lot of times they're not, they're not much to us, but uh, you know, a lot of times you think about this, why, why would they spread their garments? Why would they take down branches off of palm trees and begin to straw them in the way? What was this all about? When I was a kid, they, uh, what I was involved in, they would give us some of these and we would take them home and they'd let them dry out and then they would take those and, and about this time of the year what they do is they would burn them and they would put 
some of them on the foreheads uh, in a service that they call Ash Wednesday. Some of you may have been involved in something like that. But again, you have to understand the significance. Why the garments? Why the palms? Well, understand that the garments were a symbol of submission. Jesus was coming. Remember what we just read? That he was going to bring what? Salvation. Have you submitted your heart to the Lord today? Have you received his salvation? What's another word for salvation? Deliverance. You see, they were looking for a king to overthrow the government. What he came was to give them everlasting life. So the, the garments were a symbol of submission. What about the palm branches that they strawed in the way? It was a token of victory. Palms of victory. It was all about our king is coming. Now where in the world would they get this idea to take palm branches and straw them in the way? Well, probably somebody just like nowadays. You, you, you ever think about this? Sometimes I get aggravated with culture and who's dictating what we can wear and not wear, right? If it doesn't have like a little alligator or it doesn't have a swoosh on it, you're not in fashion, right? And it's like, who decides that, right? I'll tell you right now, it all comes out of California, okay? I'll just tell you that. <laughs> but it's not like someone like Jeff Hansen one day said, hey, look, here's what you need to do. If you want to be in vogue, if you want to be in fashion, you need to go get some branches off your palm tree, and you need, when he comes through the city, you need to start throwing them in front of him, and that's going to be the thing to do. And if you're not doing it, you're not hip. That's not at all what happened. Matter of fact, look in your Bible. Look what it says in Leviticus, and I want you to see this. Leviticus 23, 40. You shall take you on the first day of the, uh, of the bows of goodly trees, branches of what? Palm, palm trees. And the bows of thick trees and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before who? The Lord your God. How in the world did they know to take palm branches and throw them in the way? Why? Because the scriptures had told them that when the king comes, when God comes, you put those palms out to indicate, look, it was such a visible thing that was going on that day. If you knew the word of God, you knew, hey, listen. The king, of, the king of kings is about to come into the city. And I want to be a part of it. And this is a great day. It's a victorious day. And the multitude that day, they were expressing hope that Jesus was coming, that he would be their king. Now here's the next part. Look at it. I see the praise. I see the praise. Because the people, they saw Jesus coming through the, the gate of the city, entering into the city, and they understood all the implications and the Bible says that they cried, Hosanna. Now, we don't use that word in English too much. Hosanna. Let's say it. Hosanna. Now, you can say you said it one time in your life, all right? What, what's this word about? Look, you know what it is? It's a declaration of praise. Hosanna to the king. Now, again, I, we, we had a wonderful tour guide. His name was Menachem. Wonderful guy. And I, I love word etymology. And I love some of the things that he began to bring to life about 
where we were at and where Jesus was and where he spent time. And I took this word, Hosanna, and I began to look at it because it actually comes from two Hebrew words. The first of those words, if I pronounce it right, is the word Yasha. And the word Yasha means deliver or save. The second part of that word is the word Anna, Hosanna. The word Anna is a word that means beg or to beseech. So when you take those two words and you bring those two Hebrew words together, it literally means, and this is what they were crying, they were saying, Hosanna to the king, but what they were really saying is, I beg you to save me. I beseech you, please deliver us from what we are under. Deliver us from this life that we are in. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you're living a life of sin and you're away from God, what you need to do today is say, Hosanna to the king. Deliver me from this, God. Please deliver me from what I am in. Now again, where do they get this from? Look at Psalm 118. I'm glad you asked. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. You know what they were saying? The same thing the psalmist wrote hundreds of years before that is, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I'll tell you folks, I saw them praising God and we stood there at that gate and I began to think about how that they were crying out and guess what? The same way that Jesus saved them in that day is the exact same way that people are saved today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't figured it out by now, Washington, D.C. is not going to save you. Only the Lord will save by his mighty power. And I see the praise, but notice something came to my mind as I read the text. I I see the pining. Because the Bible talked about how that when Jesus came into the city, as a matter of fact, there in your notes, I've included one of the other texts out of Luke's gospel, Luke 19. Look what the Bible says. When he was come near, he beheld the city. Now look at me for a second. This is the church, right? Is the church this building? No, it's the people, right? So when the Bible says he beheld the city, Jesus wasn't looking at the walls of Jerusalem. He was looking at the people. Would you agree? And the Bible says when he beheld the city, he wept over it. Saying, if thou hadst known, See, somehow they had been blind. He said, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto, there it is again, thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time 
of thy visitation. Why, did, why was Jesus weeping? Because they, they didn't understand it. They didn't see that he was coming for them. They didn't see that he was coming so that if they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. They were trusting in their traditions and trusting in their laws. Jesus said, look, if you would just look to me, you will live. And they missed it. He was pining over them. And then notice what happens. We see the proclamation. The Bible says in John's account in John 12, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, here's the proclamation. Thy, thy king. Notice, not someone else's. Thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Now again, here's what happened. I like to study, and as I was looking at this, I thought to myself, when I look at this, and it says here, thy king, I thought about those teenage girls. I thought about so many that I saw when I was there. And by the way, I see the exact same thing in America. The Bible tells us to whom much is given, much is required. The word king arrested my attention because when I looked it up, again, in the Hebrew language, this word, chazel, is actually a word that is used that is referring to Messiah. So when the Bible says, thy king cometh, it's really thy Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been wanting to deliver you, the one that is sent from God is here. And they missed it. Even the woman at the well, when Jesus was with her, look what she said unto him. I know that Messiah, I've heard, they've told me that the Messiah is going to come one day, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Remember, Jesus said, I am him. I'm here. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you've missed his coming, if you haven't received him, it's not too late. It's not too late. Jesus wept over them, and I see the proclamation referring to the Messiah. But what's the purpose? Why is this in the Word of God? Why did God include it four times in the New Testament in each one of the Gospels, Jesus making this entrance, triumphal entrance into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, just a few days before Jesus would give his life, just one week before the resurrection, he enters into Jerusalem. And folks, here's the exciting thing. When you study the scriptures, it coincided exactly with Daniel's prophecy about God's plan for the nation of Israel. And Jesus, what was he doing? He was presenting himself that day as the king of the Jews. Is how he was presenting himself. On the exact day when the prophet said that he would and simply stated, Jesus came as the king. That was the whole purpose of his coming. Now the Bible mentions when Jesus had been crucified and he had been placed in the tomb and he had resurrected from the dead, the Bible mentions in the book of Acts that he was seen alive of them for 40 days after his passion. 
And I want you to see as we conclude this morning the passion, the heart of God. Jesus came, his entire life was centered around the very day that he would climb Mount Moriah, that he would climb a hill called Calvary, that he would give his life and he would allow himself. No man took his life. He laid his life down. He died on an old rugged cross. His entire purpose in living was that he would give himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Folks, listen to me. God is a God of order. God always had a plan. And God's plan was that His Son would descend from that Mount of Olives, past that garden, across that valley, up that eastern slope, through that gate and into the temple that day and to give a complete visible sign that he was who he said he was. I think about the song that we sing so many times that I think a lot of times, like those in Israel, they don't really think about what they're saying, what they're seeing, what they're singing. But this song has great meaning to me. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning. Of his precious blood's atoning. And then I repented of my sins and won the victory. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again. He caused the blind to see. And then I cried. Remember Psalm 118? And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me, he bought me with His redeeming blood. Folks, He plunged me and you to victory beneath His cleansing flood. I hope that you've received Him. And I hope this week that every day you would get into the Word of God and you would read you would read of what our Savior, my Savior, went through to go to the cross so that we could go to heaven someday. Let's bow our heads this morning with our heads bowed. No one looking around this morning. Thank you for listening.
Do you know the victory that only God can give? I wonder this morning by an upraised hand, how many of you could say, there's been a time in my life that I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm a Christian because I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you could slip your hand up and say, I'm saved because of what Jesus did for me. I see those hands. The Lord sees those hands. You can put them down. Some of you right there might not have been able to raise your hand. Oh, I hope you saw this morning. He came to give you life. He came to give you eternal life. What a great day that was, but I'll tell you, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And if you're here today and you've never received him, why don't you open your heart this morning? Why don't you pray as many have in days gone by? Just pray often what we call a sinner's prayer. Something like this, Lord, I know, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you came so that I could have eternal life. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Savior. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never received Him, if you pray to the Lord, not to me, you pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I know. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know you love me. You love me so much that you died for me. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my heart and be my Savior. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, why don't you make today the day of salvation? Lord, thank you for this time that we've had this morning for the remembrance of what this day represents. And Lord, may we see what even your disciples could not see on that day. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?